Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This six-part Working Scientist podcast series is sponsored by the University of Queensland. UQ research creates change right across the world every day. Hello, this is Working Scientist, a Nature Careers podcast. I'm Julie Gould. Here we are. We made it. The final episode of this six-part series all about the postdoc. And I'm going full circle. I'm actually going back to the beginning with the question... What is a postdoc? I'm returning to this because after all the conversations I've had over the last couple of months, I wasn't satisfied with the definitions that I got in episode one. I think there's so much more to being a postdoc than how Barbara Natalizio from the National Postdoctoral Association in the USA described it. As an individual holding a doctoral degree who is engaged in a temporary period of mentored research and or scholarly training for the purpose of acquiring the professional skills needed to pursue a career path of his or her choosing. Now, the metaphors that were shared by Jessica Esquivel, by Keith McCauley, by Shirley Tarman and all the others, they were all great. But I think they all missed something. And at the time, I couldn't quite put my finger on it. But I think I figured it out now. So to really describe where this episode is going, I need to take you all back to the beginning even further back than episode one of this series. We need to hear about why postdocs wanted to be a postdoc. And to find that out, I needed to find out why they wanted to be a scientist in the first place. Here's Pearl Ryder, a postdoc from the Broad Institute in the US who we've heard from over the series. It goes back to my childhood. So I had growing up a sister who was about 19 months older than I was, and she was pretty... Uh, severely sick, actually. And there, at the time, we had very little understood about why she was so sick. And it really shaped my family's life and showed me as a very young child, a couple of things. One was just how important health is, but also how little we understand what health is. And I think it was like, recognizing that there's so little that we understand about the world and yet it has such a big impact on our lives really motivated me to want to continue working in that type of vein. So there's a lot of curiosity about that around why my sister Polly was so sick. 
Um, but then on the other hand, I also grew up in a really rural and beautiful area and spent a lot of time outdoors. And so getting to spend time exploring my environment and the beauty of living things, the fact that then you get to do that for a living has just been the most incredible like opportunity to get to do. So those are the things that motivated me towards science and like the really big picture. Like Pearl, Mostafa Munir Sharaf, who is an industry-based scientist in Austria, can also trace his scientific self back to his childhood. When I decided to become a scientist, it actually goes back like my, my childhood memories. Uh, so it was filled with basically reading books of scientists and that always kind of intrigued me. Uh, I kept uh, dreaming about becoming a scientist myself because I'm by the nature a very curious person. Uh, the life stories of scientists at the same time, how they changed the world, uh, created the passion in me for science and research. And Michael Moore, a postdoc from the University of California, Davis, has also known since a very young age that he wanted to be a scientist. I have always wanted to be a biologist since I was very young. But I have memories of my dad. He was He's a professor also. A lot of the summers we would take camping trips to national parks and just walk through these national parks and like, I just want to spend my re the rest of my life with this stuff, you know, exploring the natural world and have essentially grown up in a university lab setting, whether it was my dad taught elementary education majors and he brought his kids into his class to help his students learn how to teach elementary students when we were very young. So I've been in a biology lab in one form or another, you know, since I was four or five years old. Um, so I've, it's always kind of been, um, this is what I want to do. Now, even though my dad knew I was interested in, he never pushed me down that path, which I so appreciated. So before I even had a concept of what research was or what research is, I knew I wanted to do something with science, whether it was teaching or interacting. I see a pattern forming here. And I've got my own bit to add. Although I'm not a researcher at a university, I too wanted to be a scientist at a young age. I was always curious as a child, always asking how things worked, taking toys and things apart only to find a way to put them back together again, often with little success, which my parents weren't overly keen on. My school teachers inspired me too. I could see that they loved science and why. And eventually I gravitated towards physics. No pun intended. Or maybe it was just a little bit. There are sort of professions out there that seem to be a little bit different than your day-to-day -day job. And you might think of someone, uh, a religious, a pastor or a person of faith, they, they do this for a living. That, that is often referred to as a calling. You know, a pilot might think of that. You know, this is my life's work or a soldier. They just have something different. There's just something that's, they gravitate towards something bigger than themselves. And I think we could say that about scientists, you know, for a lot of scientists, it's a calling. They don't necessarily care about the money. I mean, they, they want to pay bills, but that's not why they're becoming a scientist. It's really a calling. And see, that part of a calling is deeper than just a job. It, it's how they define themselves. Well, who are you? Well, I'm a scientist. And this is why, you know, I do what I do. I'm going to, you know, cure cancer. I'm going to discover the next planet. That was Christopher Hayter, an associate professor at Arizona State University. 
what he's talking about is all part of something he calls identity play. So you start off just pretending, maybe when you're a kid. You're out and about with a parent, you're exploring the world, looking at nature, asking questions, and you end up enjoying it so much that it turns into something that you do all the time, for a living. It becomes part of who you are. It becomes part of your identity. At some point, there's a sort of a transition from the play to the work, where it becomes really like something that you're so invested in that you're going to take the initiative to really work on that and build it uh, to build that identity. So, and then, and then if it becomes part of you, if you sort of complete this work, then you combine that with your other identities or not. So just like you have a a child or, uh, you know, you have a husband, you have to somehow reconcile that with your other identities. Chris has spent the last few years really thinking about this concept of identity as a scientist and how academia and particularly the postdoc period are shaping this. You know, how do you identify with a certain career? And we're focusing primarily on professional identity, even though identity, you know, you can have a identity as a sister and a brother, uh, a parent, um, you know, a a football lover. Uh, But for the most part, we're focusing on professional identity and and I think that's really the lens through which we can think about what happens during the postdoc journey, which really begins, right, really begins maybe as early as high school or, or um, you, you know, the, the sec- secondary schooling here uh, in the U.S. usually is reinforced uh, in undergraduate, you know, that maybe that's the first sort of place where they get exposed to science or scientific ideas. And then when that decision is made to really invest in, uh, in, in graduate school and, and a doctoral program, then you really begin sort of the socialization uh, in, into the sort of scientific discipline. And, and so in a lot of ways, when, when students transition from, uh, when doctoral students transition to a postdoc, they're, you know, in a manner of speaking, they're doubling down. Right? They're really doubling down on that identity. It, it's almost like... Um, you know, the equivalent of going to Los Angeles to become an actor or, or going to, to New York to, to, to be on Broadway, right? The odds are really much against you. In Japan, the odds for getting that professor position aren't that bad. As Ryuki Hiodo, the postdoc from the Japanese Aerospace Exploration Association, told us in episode two of this series. Ryuki told us that once you're on the academic career path in Japan, there's no turning back. Getting that industry job is impossible due to the social hierarchy that exists. So I wondered if Ryuki knew from the beginning, just like Michael, just like Pearl, just like Mustafa, that he wanted to be a scientist. Turns out he didn't. Not until he got his postdoc position. I enjoyed my student time, actually. It was fun for me, but uh, I still didn't think I'm a researcher at the time. I was just enjoying doing research. But uh, the things uh, is getting changed uh, when I was almost finishing my PhD. So after I finish PhD, of course, I have to be postdoc to stay in science side. But that means you have to be individual. So just after I get PhD, uh, my feeling was kind of mixed actually every day. So I feel very, very worried about my future, but at the same time, I'm uh, relaxed. Uh, it's, it's a bit, uh, you know, 
uh, strange, maybe it's strange, but uh, I have two feelings. So doing research is very, very fun still now. But at the same time, I have now a lot of responsibility uh, to my life, I mean. <laughs> and then I think uh, that's the moment I finally realized that uh, I'm a researcher. I Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Became one with a researcher. Across the series, I've explored and talked about some of the challenges of reaching that almost impossible to get tenure track professor position, particularly right now with the COVID-19 pandemic. There are many metaphorical hurdles to jump, mountains to climb, hoops to jump through, and obviously glass ceilings to hit, etc, etc. But to overcome these, Michael Moore says that the concept of identity as a scientist can help keep you on the right track. It can help keep you motivated. You really need to see yourself as a scientist to get that internal motivation to keep going whenever you face that next hurdle, right? Because really being a scientist is a, a series, is overcoming a series of hurdles, right? It's, uh, you have to publish so much, you have to get so much grants, you have to teach so many courses, you have to do so much service, all of these hurdles, and you need that internal motivation to keep going when, you know, when things get rough, when things get tough. So having that identity and that motivation is really key to moving forward. Michael has had his own fair share of hurdles to jump over throughout his academic career, as we heard in episode three of this series, when he told us about the faculty position that was rescinded as a result of the current pandemic. It did make him think about his identity as a scientist and about what he wants to do about it. At that time, then, I had to start considering, I have this this talent, this set of abilities that I've been refining, working on for so so many years. Are there other things that I'm supposed to be doing than just this tenure track research position? Is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? And, you know, to be honest, there are plenty of other positions that still let you do research and write grants. It's just, it is so hardwired into you when you are a PhD student that the ultimate goal is a tenure track professor, right? For for good or for bad or for worse. So, you know, I questioned that identity, whether that was, is this what I really want? And I... I guess, so... And I guess I don't, I don't know... But at the same time, I've published four papers this summer. I've written a couple of grants, one of them which is funded. So I have direct, it, it would be different if I didn't have direct evidence that I could do it right in front of me, right? So if I were in another situation, maybe I didn't have any publications and I got that news, it might have been more detrimental. So even if you see yourself as a scientist, it's not always enough when things get really, really challenging. 
It's the people that you surround yourself with that'll help you through the dark times. When I faced hurdles in my undergraduate career was my dad. You know, my dad was in the same university I was in, and he ultimately was my advisor. So he, you know, it's like, oh, no, you can do it. I was like, oh, well, if he thinks I can, certainly I can, because, you know, he's a university, he's a tenured university professor. And then, you know, when I hit hurdles in my postdoc, I had other people outside of the immediate conflict that said, no, that person is crazy. Of course you can do this. We want to do this with So I have intentionally surrounded myself with people who will speak truth to what they know I can do, even when I don't think I can do it. And for me, over and over again, that has been the sustaining power that moves me forward. I think what Michael has done is a great thing. There's no point in surrounding yourself with unsupportive people. But it did make me think a little bit more about the university system as a whole and how really universities are actually experts in making sure that people stay on this academic career track, perpetuating this idea of becoming a tenure track professor. They are experts in the socialisation into a scientific discipline and a scientific career, says Chris Hayter from Arizona State University. Maybe unintentionally or intentionally, that's really, from an organizational standpoint, something that the university does, for better or for worse, well. That from a scientific, like all our incentives, all our sort of mechanisms are to define this goal of what a scientist means and then propagate that and reinforce that through sort of the value chain of a person's uh, educational experience. And as people go, quote unquote, up the ladder of science, it becomes more and more narrow as far as what that means. And, 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 and you know, you might have a general baccalaureate degree and an undergraduate degree, but, it, you know, the more you go, you know, to, to a doctoral program and then to a post, um, postdoc program, it's really how do you become an expert? In other words, how do you differentiate yourself within this sort of calling This might be part of the underlying problem of why people are afraid of leaving academia and why it's seen as such a failure, that the academic system feeds this concept of identity as a scientist. And as being a scientist becomes more and more part of your identity, it's very difficult to let it go. And this is one of the reasons why it's so difficult for many postdocs to leave academia, even though many of them know that they will eventually have to due to the lack of positions available. And so that's the challenge with a postdoc is, you know, they, they've gone from identity play. Maybe at some point, maybe during their undergraduate degree or during high school, they said, I want to be a scientist. They spent all these years sort of building up uh, and working on this identity. And then when it comes to actually being able to reconcile that with another identity, they're all of a sudden said, wait, you can't be a scientist now that job that you've been told that is your uh, the pinnacle of being a scientist, you have to find something else. And by the way, this came from lots of, you know, PIs tell their postdocs, whatever it is, it's not the real science. You know, it's, it's not the, um, it's not the true version of how we define what is, what it means to be a scientist. So you have all of a sudden this stop in their sort of identity development. And it has, I mean, studies show not, there hasn't been studies that have done of postdocs, 
But studies show that that has huge emotional and physical consequences when you sort of exit, quote unquote, exit an identity. When I was doing a master's in physics, I explored all possible avenues of going into research in the hope that maybe one day I would find a form of research that would fit. I tried working in an academic lab. I tried an industry lab. I worked abroad. And to find a PhD project that I was willing to dedicate several years of my life to, I visited tens of labs. But I couldn't find the right fit. Nothing, nothing moulded with me. But I was okay with that because I know that if one day I want to do a PhD, if I find the right subject, I can do it. I will always be curious. I will always be a scientist. But I just don't do the research bit right now. And there's no bitterness here. But I know that there are walks of life where the bitterness can persist. And Christopher Hayter told me about research that had been done on soldiers who had lost a limb in the war and how it means that they couldn't be soldiers anymore. They'd lost a part of them, physically and emotionally. And it meant that they had very suddenly exited an identity. So what do they do? You know, how do they make that transition? It's, you know, A, it's physically incredibly damaging, but it's also their identity that they'll no longer be a Marine, right? They'll no longer um, be able to um, pursue their calling. And so how do, you know, the, the study I'm referring to is really how soldiers very, very painfully, if at all, because it's not always, you know, successful that people can make this transition. But in this um, in this study, they trans some successfully transitioned to the identity as an entrepreneur, and they were able to um, honor that previous identity by using things like craftiness and being entrepreneurial and thinking sort of creatively in the entrepreneurial environment. What Chris is saying is that these soldiers took their transferable skills and applied them in another setting. It meant that they didn't have to completely lose a part of their identity. It's still with them. They are still who they always were. Does this sound familiar? Scientists have so many transferable skills and the postdoc is the place to find those, to hone those, to prepare those and to take those on to wherever you go next. So if you leave the academic career path, it doesn't mean that it is the end of you being a scientist. Being a scientist is part of who you are. And that is fantastic. And that will stay with you forever. Now, one thing that helps if you ever feel like you've lost that love for your science or for your scientific self is to go out and do the things that make you feel most connected to that part of you that is a scientist. For Pearl Ryder, it's sharing science, sharing the excitement of science. My biggest moments of feeling most connected to being a scientist, it's where I'm like out getting to teach and I've brought my students out into the field like we're going into the woods across the street from our university and students are collecting leaves and looking at them and they're seeing their environment in a new light that those are the moments where I feel the strongest that strongest sense of being a biologist and how wonderful it is to get to share that with other people in in a lot of ways, it's kind of as little involved with 
the what you should do academic track as possible like the what you should do academic track if anything makes me feel less like a scientist and more like someone who's trying to like stoke my own ego and prove to the world that i have something to contribute whereas being a scientist is more to me it's more about that ideal of exploring the world and how beautiful that can be i couldn't have put it better myself Thank you so much to all the contributors who have featured in this series and those who unfortunately I couldn't fit into the episodes. This has been a really great series all about the postdoc. And you can find all six of the episodes on the nature.com forward slash careers website where you can find all of their other careers content as well. And if you can, please like, review and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps spread the word. So for me, it's happy holidays, everyone, and I look forward to speaking to you again in 2021. Thanks for listening. This six-part Working Scientist podcast series is sponsored by the University of Queensland. UQ Research creates change right across the world every day. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 